what if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Okay, so when was your last migraine? I just took a pill right now, just just before <laughs> we start did. to record this. I know. I feel like I need one, too. Are, are you okay? I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. I'm okay. It's, I'm getting better at predicting. So mm. I let's just say I started to feel the first signs. And so I, I thought, let me just try to fight this off early. Hey, I'm AC Rowe. This is The Doc Project. And that familiar voice is producer Sherry OKK. When Sherry joined the team about a year and a half ago, this was great for me for all kinds of reasons. One of them was that I was no longer alone. There was finally one other person on the team who knows the pain of a migraine. So the first time I ever had a migraine was when I was in grad school. And I remember it like it was yesterday because I was experiencing, I'd always had a lot of headaches, but this was a pain, a level of pain that I had never experienced before. I remember going into my room, closing the blinds and putting my face into my pillow. I had to block off all light and I just couldn't function for several hours. I can't remember how many hours, could have been 10 hours. And I thought, whoa, that was scary. And I I suspected it was a migraine because my mom had always had migraines. And I was a terrible teenager who didn't show her much empathy and was just sort of like, how bad could it be? And then that day I thought, oh, oh, it could be this bad. This is this is real. So but luckily for me, I, I didn't have one again for for more than a decade like 15 years went by and all of a sudden, bam, bam, I got another one and then they started to become more regular. Wow. I think I got my first migraine when I was maybe 11. 11. Oh my gosh. I was so confused. I just thought that maybe I had the flu or food poisoning. I remember losing all of my vision. It was like, you know, when you look at a bright light and then you look away, you look elsewhere, and there are just those spots, like those glowing. I had that when I hadn't been looking at a bright light. It just would block out my vision. And then I just remember, I mean, TMI, but leaning off the side of my bed and just vomiting. And I had no idea what it was. But my mom, who, like yours, has migraines, she knew right away. And I have just had them ever since. Migraines are one of these tricky things. Knowing what it is does not necessarily mean stopping it from happening. Even if you have a doctor's help, migraines are a recurrent, often lifelong condition. According to a 2014 StatsCan survey, about 8% of Canadians are estimated to experience migraines. And that's just the people who are diagnosed. Many go undiagnosed because they didn't see a doctor or didn't get the diagnosis when they did see a doctor. 
I was in my late 20s when I got my first actual diagnosis and prescription, after I'd already been having migraines for almost two decades. And I am probably a success story, because I have a family doctor. And most of the time, my prescription works. But I have never met two migraine sufferers with the same stories, same list of symptoms, same triggers, or if they can find one at all, same fix. So with this common and frankly often debilitating condition, there is this question. Why does it seem so difficult to manage, navigate, and treat migraines? And what can be done? Sherry set out to talk to four other migraine sufferers with different experiences from different parts of the country. One of them is among Canada's foremost migraine specialists. And together, we're going to try to figure some of this out. I wouldn't wish this upon anyone. The pain is so bad. There were times when I genuinely believed that I was bleeding from my eyes. Like I would kind of like wake up and like tap, you know, try to wipe away tears that weren't there because I genuinely thought I am bleeding from my eyes. I'm dying. I guess I would compare it to an invading army kind of coming in and and occupying my head in a way that um, really put me on a path to to having to lie down and not do anything. It typically, it would start in the back of my head, or if it if is in the front, it's like all parts of my brain were being um, occupied by this headache, sort of a wave of debilitation. My migraine pain feels like someone is just running a sledgehammer to my head continuously. It's pulsing, it's throbbing. I mean, if someone was punching you like continuously in the head for a full day, I that's probably the equivalent of what a migraine is. It all sounds painfully familiar. A migraine can knock you off your feet for anywhere from a few hours to several days. It's more than a headache. It's a headache disorder, one of the most common disorders of the nervous system. Pain from migraine comes from your own brain in, in the migraine attack, sprinkling cayenne pepper on your meninges and arteries. This is Dr. Elizabeth LaRue. Her cayenne pepper description is bang on, at least for me. In the worst moments of my migraines, it feels like my brain is on fire. Here's what she says is happening. The brain and spinal cord are surrounded by three layers of membranes called meninges. So this is where the migraine pain comes from. It's from an inflammation around the meninges. And the cayenne pepper represents proteins. So in medical terms, we call this inflammatory peptides. Uh, so proteins that are very irritant um, and they will lead to the blood vessels dilating and to pain. So people will feel this pain in their eyes, in their temples, but also in their necks and jaws and face. But in addition to all of that pain, there are all kinds of other symptoms too. All the other symptoms are caused by centers of the brain going astray. So all this hypersensitivity is because we stop regulating and blocking signals. Um, so that's why the lights, the light is painful, the sound is painful. So that's what's happening. But how often it happens and how much migraines interfere with life really varies person to person. 
Sean Silkoff was hesitant to even talk about his migraines because he has family members with life-threatening illnesses, and he feels he shouldn't complain. That is classic migraine sufferer. I told him I'm learning many of us tend to play down the effects of migraines and how that can delay getting the right care. My name is Sean Silkoff. I live in the Ottawa area with my wife and three kids. I am in my early 50s. I work for the Globe and Mail as a journalist, and I have been suffering from migraines for about 18 to 20 years. I started having these very debilitating headaches that felt a little bit like, I guess I would describe it as a bad stomach ache in my head. Uh, it came with a lot of queasiness. It was kind of like a, an overpowering takeover of my brain. And whereas I could work past uh, previous headaches, these kind of like knocked me out uh, for anywhere from 12 to as much as 36 or 48 hours. I would lie down or sit down and uh, writhe, I suppose, in various states, uh, trying to find a comfortable position that lessened the pain. That usually didn't work. Uh, I would try various things like wrapping a heating pad around my head or ice. Eventually, I figured out that if I use my thumbs to massage the inside of my eye sockets, for some reason that seemed to um, help bring the pain level down, but it might take you know, a few hours of doing that uh, for any progress. I found that drugs like uh, acetaminophen or ibuprofen weren't effective on their own. So I, I had heard from people who'd had migraines over the years. And my sense was that there wasn't really anything that you could do except just sort of lie down and wait for it to be over. I, so I didn't really seek out any uh, further action in terms of prescriptions I could get or medical advice. And I just kind of lived with it. Sean says he figured he didn't need to see a doctor because his migraines only happened about once every month or two. And he says that didn't really disrupt his life that much until I woke up one morning with both a throbbing headache and also a new experience. The uh, left half of my face was numb. And I, my first instinct was frankly to panic a little bit. I thought I was maybe having a stroke. I'd never experienced this before. It was this sort of dull, low level, but palpable numbness on the left side of my face. So a friend, uh, uh, a friend agreed to uh, take me to hospital. I went to emergency. And after the hours I spent in emergency, I saw a doctor who seemed to know what he was talking about, which was great. And he said, oh, you've got a migraine with aura. Aura often affects your vision. Some people see lines or flashes or cannot see at all for a few minutes to an hour. Aura can also cause tingling or numbness in different parts of the body the kind of numbness Sean felt in his face. The emergency room doctor recognized this as a migraine, not a stroke, and he was able to put Sean at ease. Then he prescribed me a medication and a course of action which has changed my life, frankly. The way it works is that you take this pill and generally within about 30 to 60 minutes, sometimes sooner, start to feel the headache kind of drain away. It's it's kind of a numbing process as well. Like it, I think it feel it generally seems to dull the senses a little bit. I don't feel like I'm a hundred percent myself, but 
basically it takes the pain away and I can function and do my job. So I had been suffering migraines probably about eight to 10 years when I went to the hospital and got this, frankly, med miracle medication. It, it was fantastic. I couldn't believe it. And I was grateful for it. That doctor gave Sean a type of medication called a triptan. They're specific for migraines, and they've been available for many years. But some people who show up in clinics or even emergency rooms do not get the help they need for migraine. That was the case for a woman we'll call Anna. I am a 27-year-old graduate student working full-time. I've been here in Montreal since 2012. I am originally West African. I have had migraines since I was a child. I've been having rather severe migraines um, for as long as I can remember, but more frequently since I've started my master's. I definitely believe that stress has been a huge, has been the factor um, in my migraines being so frequent. Anna puts a lot of pressure on herself to score top grades while also working five days a week. Doing a master's degree during a pandemic has meant way more screen time than usual. That hasn't helped. And as a Black woman in graduate school at the time of George Floyd's murder, class discussions became exhausting. They took on a different tone. Anna says harmful comments from classmates about the Black community added even more stress. You know, some situations in class where, you know, surrounding the Black Lives Matter movement, some conversations were also very, very stressful, traumatic even, I would say, quite frankly. Um, and so I do feel stressed when I'm coming to class for the first time, you know, in, in a new semester, and I'm wondering, oh my goodness, okay, who's in this class? <laughs> um, because when... You've been in a situation where learning has not been a safe space. Your brain doesn't just forget it. It's in survival mode. It just piles up. That's why we agreed to protect her real name and call her Anna. The fear of reprisals from classmates who've made harmful comments about the Black community or from the university for speaking out publicly is too much. That added stress could put her health at risk by causing even more migraines. Stress is considered a common trigger. And when Anna gets a migraine, she passes out from the pain. The first thing that happens is I, I can't see very well. It's difficult to explain. It kind of feels like there's a veil in front of your eyes. And gradually, like I start to lose feeling in my left arm usually starts with the fingers. I, I get some tingling and it gradually goes up my hand all the way up my arm. And then my vision gets worse and worse. And then my eyes get very sensitive to light. So it gets to a point where in about maybe 10 minutes or less, then I can't open my eyes anymore. And if I do, I simply cannot see that's when the headache comes in. And it feels like somebody is shoving a sword through your eyebrow and behind your eye socket. And it's just persistent. And eventually, I just succumb to the pain. I just pass out. 
Anna does not take any migraine medication. She doesn't have a prescription. Anna is one of about a million Quebecers without a family doctor. She has seen doctors at various medical clinics, but she's never asked for a referral to see a neurologist. And I suppose it's because of my um, overall not great uh, experiences in health centers that kind of like I taught myself to just deal with things um, on my own. One of those not great experiences was in 2014. Anna was working full time and studying full time just like now. And the migraines were back to back for two solid weeks. She says when she went to a hospital emergency room, she was not treated for migraine. Instead, staff suggested maybe she wasn't adjusting to Montreal's cold weather. Despite having been in Montreal for years at this point, um, so it was, oh, maybe you can't handle the weather. And then uh, the biggest one that the doctors couldn't look away from for a while was that, uh, oh, you must have sickle cell. And I remember texting my mom about it and asking her, like, hey, do you know in my medical records somewhere if it says that I have sickle cell? She was like, no, you don't. What, what is this about? Sickle cell is an inherited red blood cell disease. Symptoms vary, but a common one is episodes of pain. And sickle cell is particularly common among people whose ancestors come from sub-Saharan Africa, but also from the Caribbean, South America, Central America, Saudi Arabia, India, and Mediterranean countries. They were set on sickle cell because I'm African. (laughs) That was it. That was the effort that they made. That's it. Done. Case closed. Anna never heard of triptans, that family of migraine medications that worked so well for Sean Silkoff and is touch and go for me and AC. That type of medication did help Christina Saul at first, but not now. Christina experiences chronic migraines. Yeah, 15 migraines a month is basically half the month. So it is it's just a never-ending cycle of migraine. So my name is Christina Saul. I live in British Columbia. I work currently at BC Women's Children's Hospital as a porter, and uh, I'm excited to finish nursing school whenever that happens. Migraines have forced Christina to be very patient when it comes to fulfilling that dream of becoming a nurse. So I know when a migraine is coming on, when I start to feel pain in my neck, my back, my Um, And it's creeping up my head and it's slowly getting to that point where it's going to take over my head and then I start to get nauseous. Um, Occasionally um, with that pain, I will get a visual aura in my right eye that comes in like TV static and I can't see. Um, those don't happen as frequently, but they still come on and they're scary because you, you're blind. These symptoms sound familiar. I've experienced some of them myself, but Christina also has one I'm learning about for the first time. My body overall is just in pain everywhere. I'm sensitive to touch. I don't want any clothes that are tight fitting. I just want to lie in a bed with ice packs on my head and... I'm instantly running to find my medication. And there's only been one occasion in the last couple years that there has been a day where I haven't had my medication and it was excruciating. On a scale 
of one to 10, it would probably be a 15. <laughs> and um, once it starts to kind of decrease in the pain, the lingering side effects are still there. So the neck, the back pain, I lose the ability to speak properly, which I'm also having and struggling with today uh, because I suffered a migraine yesterday. Sometimes the migraine days last for a couple days. Sometimes they only last a day, but it does affect my entire day. I basically put it on hold just to be in pain for a day or two or three I wouldn't wish this upon my worst enemy. Christine has been coping with migraines since childhood. In high school, they happened about once a month, and she was able to access a triptan medication from her family doctor. By her early 20s, the migraines were once a week. When they got up to 15 times a month, they were considered chronic, and her doctor prescribed a beta blocker medication as a prevention. Beta blockers reduce blood vessel dilation. And when that didn't help, she wound up back in his office having a breakdown. Full-blown, you know, crying, tears and wailing, that kind of breakdown in his office um, because I was just so exasperated and I didn't know what else to do. And I literally, that's all I could scream for about 20 minutes was, I don't know what else to do anymore. Someone please just help me, you know, which is, that was the lowest, I think, at least with um, a physician, you know, I'm not one to say I have to cry in public very often. So if I'm wailing in a doctor's office, you know, it's bad. By that time, Christina was in nursing school and focusing on her studies was becoming impossible. And I was really struggling and I put on a fake face that I wasn't and that everything was okay and I was fine, but my mental health was gone and I wasn't able to function. I couldn't think straight. My brain was just continually foggy. The school I was at, they knew of my migraines, maybe not the severity, um, because I tried to hide it because I, I wanted to be a nurse so badly. But, you know, when you can't even read paper sometimes, like I have a hard time reading questions uh, when I have a migraine. In her second year, Christina was forced to leave that nursing school. I couldn't keep up with the schoolwork. I couldn't keep my grades up. I couldn't, I couldn't do any, anything. I felt lost. Um, I felt stuck. Um, I was devastated by the fact that I couldn't finish nursing school, which is my ultimate goal. That's all I ever wished for was to be a nurse. So it was... It felt like rock bottom for me um, when I left or had to leave uh, nursing school. It was such a horrible experience, and I don't wish that upon anyone to have to feel that way because um, it really feels like everything is being ripped away from you and you're just falling. Christina wound up moving home with her parents for a while, and eventually, through a medical trial, she was able to access one of the newest migraine prevention medications. It's called a CGRP inhibitor. So this injection that I take once a month has been absolutely life-changing. She was able to complete a degree in psychology. The medication helped so well. I was able to take six classes in my last semester, um, which I never 
I never could have dreamt of being able to do that. Like I had to convince so many people to just let me do it, but I was over the moon. I'd never experienced lack of pain like that before in years. Then Christina got back to nursing school, but this time a graduate program. I basically almost knocked my mom over <laughs> from jumping on her and hugging her. I was so excited. Um, I couldn't contain myself. I was like running around my house screaming. I was so excited to finally get back in because it felt like I just, I climbed my way back up from rock bottom. Truly, I felt like I got my life back. Christina's doing so much better now that she's taking CGRP inhibitors through injections once a month, but she's still not free of migraines. I have gone down to maybe five migraines a month now, currently. Um, But when I first started the medication, it was almost non-existent. I didn't have any. I would have them maybe every three months. Does that mean the medication's not working as well anymore? Or it's just, you're just going through a rough patch? I'm not sure because this medication is new. So we're not really aware of what is going to happen in the long term. So no one I've spoken to so far has been able to completely get rid of their migraines. And we're all trying to avoid migraines in the first place, which means figuring out what triggers them. For Sean, it's often food. I gradually realized that there was some connection between starchy foods and migraines. That was my trigger. Uh, For example, if I ate a lot of chips or had too much table bread at a restaurant before a meal, or if I had a second plate of pasta, that would trigger the migraine. And so I just started managing that a little bit more. At first, I thought, it you know, you had the main triggers, which were raspberries, which are really random. Perfume and heat are currently my triggers. But when they were at my worst, everything was my trigger. Absolutely everything. There was no foods, no things I could cut out that made it better. It just was continuous. Wow. So I'm still trying to figure out what exactly my triggers are. I think chocolate is becoming a trigger for me because... No. Yeah. Yes. I've been eating way less chocolate as I've been trying to avoid things. And I had a little bit today. And then I had that little bit of a feeling that made me take my medication today. So no more chocolate for me. Um, That's one of the triggers. I know sleep deprivation is pretty bad. If I've had a terrible night's sleep, I'm at risk of a migraine. But as I said, I'm still trying to figure out, you know, if there are other triggers. Oh, I know mine. They're the axis of evil. Thunderstorms, red wine, my period. And if all three are together, <laughs> like game over. And I, you and I, I mean, we live in different provinces, but when there's, you know, a storm front rolling through, <laughs> yes. depending on which way it's going, yeah, I'm like, Sherry, there's a thunderstorm coming. Expect a migraine tomorrow. It's just, more than once it has happened where I've been feeling off and feeling guilty about it, not wanting to say anything, and then find out that you have a migraine. Oh, absolutely. Where we both just kind of like quietly slack each other. Like, you dying today? <laughs> Why, yes. Yes, I am. Um, 
we laugh about it only because we can relate. But it's really, it's really an exhausting. We laugh to survive. We laugh to survive. But it's really an exhausting yeah. experience. And it's a bit of a mystery. We're all trying to figure out what is going on and how to avoid this. Anna is convinced it's stress causing her migraines. And she doesn't have a neurologist or even a family doctor here in Montreal. So she's got a lot of questions. Yes, I would love to ask the neurologist, how can I deal with my migraines? What can we do? Um, because I will do my best to upkeep with my resting routine. But when I do have migraines, is there a medication that I can take and that I can just have on me? Is there anything that I could do to help make my situation better, especially when I'm under a lot of stress for an extended period of time. Okay, we need to take a quick break, but coming up, one of the foremost experts on migraine headaches in Canada, Dr. Elizabeth LaRue, on what these monsters are, what can be done about them, and why it's taken so long for the medical community and society at large to take them seriously. That's next. What if there were a fountain of youth pill? that could add decades to your life. Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. I remember very well the first time I met people with migraine. It was late during my training, fourth year, and I went to a headache clinic. The, the teacher there uh, told me, just sit with my patients and listen to them. So I listened to them, and the story uh, between the many patients was very similar. It was a lot of, I suffered all my life. Nobody believed me. Nobody tried to help me. And then I met this doctor and my life has changed and and I cannot believe how you know better I am. So when you're a trainee neurologist and you hear that kind of improvement and gratefulness and happiness and also the suffering, um, that really got to me and that's when it started. I wanted to help these people. And I have a bit of a feminist touch as well in me. So a lot of these patients were women, uh, sometimes vulnerable women. And this this also got to my heart. The World Health Organization says migraines are more common in women by a factor of two to one because of hormonal influences. So there was a real need for doctors like Elizabeth LaRue when she started looking into this. But she says that need wasn't always recognized. I have to say that many of my attendings at the time were not very encouraging. Uh, I heard things like you're going to lose your career on a bunch of whiny women. Uh, or why are you ruining your talent? You should come to stroke because it's, that's real neurology. Like headache is not neurology. And I thought to myself, how dare you say that about people? And also, if headache is not neurology, what is it? Because it's something from the brain and from the head. So it is definitely neurology. I could right there feel the stigma against these patients. Uh, but that did not discourage me. Quite the contrary. I, I said, oh, ho, there's something there, right? So I know I want to do this. And, and so I did. 
So I'm uh, Elizabeth Leroux. I'm actually a, a doctor, I'm a neurologist, and I practice in Montreal. Uh, I'm a headache specialist. So I, I treat patients with migraine and headaches since uh, more than 15 years now. Clearly, Dr. Leroux has extensive medical knowledge, and there are so many questions to cover. But first, I was curious to know if she's ever felt the pain of a migraine. I did. <laughs> I did have many of them, uh, and some were quite nasty. Um, but I, I remember my first migraine because I was at a sushi restaurant with my neurology colleagues. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, my colleagues told me, you're very pale. What is going on with you? And I was like, I don't know. I don't feel so good. And then over half an hour, I had a headache. I was dizzy. Um, I had nausea. And I actually had to rush out of the restaurant, catch a taxi in a rush. In the taxi, I thought I was going to throw up make it home and then throw up. And and I was like, okay, that must be a migraine. Um, and so I had numerous other attacks uh, in my life. Uh, and uh, and it, it when I think about my patients, and I think that they have this on like 15, 20 days per month, I cannot imagine how they're doing it. Can you try to walk me through what is happening inside our bodies when this is going on? Because when a when a migraine hits it just feels like it just feels like a nightmare but i'm just wondering really what is happening inside my body and i'm so glad i can give you an answer to that now because 20 years ago we couldn't um so the science shows that the brain of the pe the person with migraine is part is different from the person who does not have migraine it is sensitive to a bunch of triggers and the triggers also vary so usually triggers will accumulate, they will reach a threshold, kind of a flipping, a tipping point, and then the attack will start. Um, and so what happens is roughly it's a big, you, you say a nightmare, and I think it's a good analogy. It's like a big, an electrical and chemical storm in the brain. So um, there are centers in the brain that activate. We can see that now. Uh, and this all leads to what I call sprinkling cayenne pepper on your sensitive meninges and arteries. So the cayenne pepper analogy. I asked Dr. LaRue if there's something causing this that's common to all migraine sufferers. So migraine is a genetic disorder. It is, it is a software problem. So if you put a person with migraine in an MRI, it, the brain seems, looks normal. The hardware is fine, but it's the, the genetic software is, is not fine. Uh, and there are many different genes related to migraine. And that's probably why this diversity is observed, because there's no one gene. Um, it's kind of a bunch of genes. And depending on that, it might actually influence your symptoms, your triggers, and even your responses to treatments. Uh, so for example, there's a gene that's linked to women having hormonal migraines. Um, because some women are very sensitive to hormonal changes and others are not. Um, so that's, that's the cause of migraine is in the software, the genetic software of your brain that makes it sensitive to triggers. So I asked Dr. LaRue if there are triggers everyone with migraines should avoid. Uh, so migraine does like regularity, and that's true for sleep, for uh, eating, for hydration, and for mental load. Um, and so avoiding like massive changes. So we advise people to keep regular routines, to avoid skipping meals, uh, to hydrate very regularly, 
and also to manage, I don't like the word stress because stress is a bit linked to anxiety, but also just your your mental activities, you know, to avoid overload. The mental load is a, a load on the brain. So for some people, they, they tell me, stop telling me manage my stress. I'm not stressed. What they mean is that they're not anxious, but they have a lot on their plate and they're not sleeping enough. And they have tons of decisions to make every day managing busy lives. Anna is well aware that stress is causing her migraines. I've been more like those patients of Dr. LaRue thinking, hey, I'm not stressed, while actually having a lot, probably too much on my mind. And I'll, I'll tell you, this is a bit of a, a political comment, but women, you know, have a lot of mental load. They have to juggle a job and children and sometimes their elderly parents. So that's that's very important when you, you have migraine, you have to become a, a, a time management master. So you make sure that you don't reach this threshold that leads to the attack. When my migraines became regular, I had two young kids, a parent with health issues, and I was working a lot of early mornings and late nights. So I was fitting in everything except downtime. Reducing mental load and avoiding triggers is important, but for so many of us, it's easier said than done. Yeah, and also there's not only all the stuff you're supposed to stop doing, but then there's all the stuff you're supposed to start doing. I do see an osteopath. My doctor encourages that, and it's really helped with the neck pain, actually. Yeah, I was miraculously part of a headache clinic last year. Uh, they were pretty clear that the first step to dealing with migraines was lifestyle changes, gentle yoga, and meditation, and mindfulness, and various supplements like magnesium, and a weird one, which was, have I told you about this? To eat protein within half an hour of waking up? No, I, I mean, <laughs> that's the first I heard about the protein having an impact on migraines. Oh, and yeah. then it turned out that Dr. LaRue said there's some research behind that. Stabilizing the blood sugars is good for people with migraine. So usually I advise my patients to first start with just stabilizing the blood sugars, decreasing fast sugars, uh, eating more protein, more fiber, more water. And like everything that she is describing, I've done it. I did it for months, actually. I was perfect. I did everything that my neurologist and my headache clinic advised. Protein first thing, regular sleep, never missed a meal, hydrated, gentle exercise, magnesium. But even then, you know, some triggers like hormones or the weather or like just the reality of life, they happen and then Choo-choo, you're pulling into the migraine station. So we still need to know what's the best way to treat migraines once they strike. For her own migraines, Dr. LaRue, like Sean Silkoff, takes a tryptan medication. Which, by the way, my patients are often reluctant to, tr to use for a bunch of reasons. They see these drugs as dangerous or too powerful. But in, in fact, when I started using them, my life changed because then they, st they were stopping my attacks. I was feeling much better and I just could go on with my day. And for the triptans have been a revolution for people with migraine in the 90s. Because before that, uh, we had like things like acetaminophen or ibuprofen or you know, Advil. And sometimes they work for little migraines, but very often they're not sufficient. So triptans really were a big move forward for, for us with migraine. I need to point out that Dr. LaRue does have a bias here, and she's open about it. 
I promote everything that can help patients. In any talk I give and in any appearance I make, um, I do disclose my biases with the industry because I do work with pharmaceutical companies who market treatments. Uh, I work uh, as a speaker, as an advisor, uh, and this is part of my work as a specialist and, uh, and headache advocate. Dr. LaRue wants to make sure patients know about all the medical approaches available. And although triptans work for her personally, Dr. LaRue's patients experience more frequent migraines, chronic migraines, and they need preventative approaches that go beyond lifestyle changes. And for them, sometimes they have a very, very perfect lifestyle. They hydrate, they eat regular, they do meditation, um, they manage their time. And they need medications for prevention. And sometimes you can try medications that will work very well. But sometimes it's really like a hurdle race. You have to try one and then another and then another. Um, so that can be discouraging uh, for patients. But, you know, the hope is there because we have more and more options actually to treat and to prevent migraine nowadays. Dr. LaRue says there are three categories of treatment available for prevention. Pills, CGRP inhibitors, and one that surprised me, Botox. No treatment is one size fits all for migraine, so sometimes they don't work, but they might have also side effects. Botox was really a, a revolution in our world because in 2011 it made it to Canada uh, for chronic migraine, and it is very well tolerated. Um, Botox is administered, it's interesting, it, it kind of quiets down the sensory nerves all around the face and the forehead and the neck and the, uh, the back of the head. So that can be extremely effective. But now we have a new class of treatments uh, for prevention that are called CGRP antibodies. Antibodies are injectables, so once a month you will give yourself a shot like a bit of an EpiPen. And the antibody will block a little protein that is very inflammatory and that is actually known to be involved in the cause of migraine. So CGRP antibodies took 35 years of research. It's a very long process. Uh, and they have been uh, marketed in Canada since 2018. Um, and it's, like I said, I, it's, a, it's a breakthrough. And it's not only me saying this. Uh, it's, it's also, they, they actually, they got something called the Brain Prize for this massive discovery, the whole class, right? So this is a big change for us. It is not curing everybody. It's not a cure. Uh, not everybody responds, but it is a great new tool for us to propose patients. Um, and now I've seen hundreds of patients with these drugs and some of them respond beautifully. With so many possible treatments, I can't help but wonder why so few people with migraines know about them, myself included. And how many patients are treated the way Anna was treated when she tried to get help? I felt like I had to kind of like sell my case um, to grab attention and to make the professionals understand like, I am not feeling well. This is not normal. Please have a look at me. And the response that I would get would be overall dismissive. Dr. LaRue says bias definitely plays a role. Yes, and there's actually research on this. Um, and it's, it's interesting because um, the, there's the distinction for gender is that men are un, even worsely treated than women because they are underdiagnosed. Uh, nobody thinks that a male can have severe migraines. So I've seen men that were not diagnosed and not treated 
probably because they were men. Um, regarding access to care for women, it's it's mostly being discarded. So migraine can be recognized, but then it's just, oh, it's only migraine. Oh, that's not worth a neurology consult. Or, or there's nothing I can do for you. You just have to manage your stress. Or you should be lucky. You know, you're lucky you don't have a brain tumor. So it's a lot of just not doing anything. Um, and then regarding race, absolutely. Uh, I think there's also something that if you are a migraine patient, you have to kind of fight your own battle. And the nature of migraines feeds the stigma. I think the, the root cause for the misunderstanding and stigma about migraine is because it is invisible. We cannot see it on the MRI. There's no blood test for it. We cannot show it on printed paper. I think that's why it's very easy to doubt people when they report a migraine attack. Um, and then it affects women. Uh, and it's also very common. So in our society, since decades and centuries, there's been a lot of a history um, putting this kind of migraine disease on the head of women, saying they're whiny, they don't want to work, it's because they're crazy, they're hysterical, and so on. So there's a very bad link between the stigma on women in general and migraine, I think. Oh, we'll just take an Advil. Just, you're fine, just go. You, you're you totally just making it up or, you know, um, purposely missing like this important event of mine. Like, no, we're not, we're not missing it on purpose. And it's not a day off. I've heard that a lot where people think when you call in sick for a migraine, it's, oh, you're just taking an extra day off. No, we're not taking a day off. We are miserably in bed right now, bedridden with pain and would rather have gone to work than be stuck in bed. I can say that for sure. I wish that people would know that we are not exaggerating when we describe what the migrants feel like. I feel like I'm bleeding from my eyes and people think, oh, it can't be that bad, can it? It's, no, it is. It is. So if there is one thing, believe us. <laughs> Those, the privileged who don't have migraines, please believe us. I have heard comments that broke my heart uh, about women, about my patients. I've seen this uh, by my fellow doctors. Uh, I've heard this in uh, even among my friends, even my own mother. Uh, when I told her that I had migraine, she looked at me and said, but you cannot have migraine. This is not you and I know I knew what she meant. She meant like you're smart and you function well. I mean, you cannot have migraine. So I've seen this, but I think things are changing because people are now getting out of the closet uh, and uh, they are speaking up. Christina is one of the people speaking up. She accessed the CGRP medication that worked so well for her through a medical trial. But once that trial was done and she had to buy the medication herself, she discovered it was not covered by her insurance. She was eligible for a discount, but the medication was still expensive, especially for a student. It was still about uh, just over $500 a month um, for this medication so that I could live effectively. Um, I was absolutely devastated because I felt like something was being taken away from me that was working. I ended up using my student loans to pay for this medication so that I could t continue school. 
Christina gained media attention when she started an online petition last year asking the BC government to include the drug in provincial coverage. She says the government hasn't budged. But recently, she found out her partner's insurance will cover the medication. I was ecstatic because that meant I wasn't spending $500 a month, which in the long term is about $6,000 a year. Dr. LaRue wants to help tackle these challenges through Migraine Canada. It's a nonprofit organization she founded to support people who experience migraines. Advocating for care and access to treatments at the provincial level is part of the mission. So make sure that drugs are covered, for example. Talk to insurance companies to make sure that drugs are covered. And also in the workplace, you know, like migraine has a massive impact in the workplace. So we want to start discussions with employers to have maybe migraine programs, migraine policies. Dr. LaRue says another challenge for patients is coming face to face with doctors who lack training. For neurologists, uh, a lot of neurology departments in our country do not have an academic headache clinic. And that's a big issue because if you do not train neurologists to manage something that will be a quarter of their consults when they're in practice, it leads to, you know, like, um, I don't, I want to say inappropriate, but suboptimal care and dissatisfaction of patients as well. So education is insufficient. It, there's a gap. Uh, and we have to work on this gap and make sure that neurology departments have proper headache electives and training for their neurology residents. And the same should apply to GPs. Because GPs get a lot of education on asthma, diabetes and depression, but they do not get much about migraine. Dr. LaRue is trying to reach out to more patients to educate and empower them through her podcast, Migraine Talks. In today's podcast, we discuss the impact of migraine on families. One in four households in Canada includes a person with migraine. That's an awful lot of Canadians. I checked it out and I learned things like that I had made a classic mistake when talking to my neurologist. I've seen patients who will say, oh, I have like four or five days of migraine per month. But with careful questionnaire, you discover they have 15 because they just count their more severe attacks and all the rest for them is normal headache. But <laughs> they, they, they're just so used to pushing through and enduring the pain that, and also they don't want to appear whiny. So they try not to complain. But sometimes I've seen patients living in very difficult situations. Um, and, but you had to kind of get it out of them because they, they were ashamed. So once again, we go to this shame. They feel guilty. They feel like they have a responsibility of this. This was a breakthrough for me because I realized the little headaches I'd been having in between migraines were likely actually migraines. So I started taking my migraine medication at the first sign of that pain. Dr. LaRue also recommends something my neurologist had already recommended, but I didn't do it first. So the idea is just to very gently and kindly look at ourselves and say, okay, I'm going to do a headache diary and I'm going to identify my mild, my moderate and my severe headaches. How many do I have? How do they cycle? Um, have a, a look at triggers, but without panicking about every trigger. And then once you have a good picture, then you can start making decisions about what you want to do for lifestyle, for acute treatments, uh, and, for, and for prevention. But it's very important that this is done um, with the doctor, but the patient should be in the driver's seat. 
So we have no blood test or MRI, but we have the headache diaries. And these are just a good basis to, uh, to start the work. I shared all of this information with Anna. When it comes to keeping a diary, like a log of the headaches and the migraines, it should be done. Like, of course, it, it's, it sounds so obvious, um, but that's definitely something I'm going to do for sure. That's a promise I'm making right here, right now. <laughs> but no, this is this is good information. And it's good to know. Like, I know that, you know, like, I'm not crazy. I know this was a real thing because it's in my family. That's actually the first thing Dr. LaRue wants to say to anyone struggling with migraines. They are not crazy. Uh, it's very important that you know that this migraine is a genuine disorder. And though you might have some control over it, it's not your fault. You're far from being alone because there are a lot like you, maybe not exactly like you, but in the same situation. So don't feel alone and please reach out to get some support. And third, there's a lot of hope because science has made major advances and it's actually going to grow even more. Don't be ashamed, speak up and ask for proper help because there are options for you. So, Sherry, having learned all of this, what are you going to do next when it comes to your own migraines? Well, I'm going to I'm going to continue my journal and I'm going to eat less chocolate. Not that I eat that much chocolate, but <laughs> I'm avoiding chocolate even more. Suffering. Um, and I'm actually going to talk about it a bit more than yeah. usual. I'm just going to be a bit more open about it and maybe that can help someone else feel a bit more comfortable about their own situation. You never know who's suffering silently. At the beginning of the show, I mentioned how it was great for me when you joined the team for you know many reasons, but in tiny part because I had just always been the only person that got these horrible but like kind of dubious headaches. No one ever accused me of making excuses, but I just felt like, oh, I should be able to work through this. It's just a headache. Even if it's a migraine, it's just a headache. And then you showed up and suddenly I wasn't alone anymore. And you being here actually, I think, was part of why I ended up getting a neurologist and stuff. I just, when you had it too, I knew I wasn't overreacting. And I do remember... Uh, a team member saying, oh, you get migraines? So does AC. And thinking, oh, really? That would be interesting. I wonder if we'll ever talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, The Doc Project is produced by Tanera McLean, Joan Weber, Suzanne Dufresne, and me. Althea Manassin is our digital producer. Our interim senior producer is Kent Hoffman. And this, bittersweet as it is, is Sherry's last episode with us at least for a while. Sherry has accepted a position as a journalism professor. So, young minds of the future, prepare yourselves. I am AC Rowe, and Sherry, would you like to do the honors? Certainly. Thanks for listening. Nice. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.